Live, 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 live. Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show that makes you go, yeah, 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 107. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Episode 107. Um, We're here. Almost didn't make it because I was I had no internet over the weekend, so we weren't able to record. So this is a, a Monday night recording, which is unusual. But we also have Chris Hansen here. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. How you doing? Oh, and Julius. Oh, yeah. Don't forget about me. <laughs> Thanks. Glad I'm here. And Julius is here too. Is, yep. Yeah. I'm glad I made it too. Man, I, I got in a car car accident earlier today, so I'm a little beat up, but I think we'll make it through a recording. All right. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. That that is no fun. No, no, it is not. I'm quite sore. I hope you get feeling better quick. Fortunately we didn't have to beat up any samurai or raiders or anything like that. <laughs> You're under attack. I'm I I was under attack. Your poor though. village. A hard hit. Never saw it coming. <laughs> All right, so let's see. Uh, so we're going to talk about Samurai Spirit today. We're going to have some Kickstarter. We're probably going to have a little bit of news. Chris is going to talk about Solitaire print-and-play stuff. Yeah, the uh, Solitaire print-and-play contest. Mm-hmm, that's right. That's been going on. Now, by the time you listen to this, it's probably too late to submit a game. But it's never too late to participate in playtesting again. Yeah, there's still a month left to vote and uh, to play the games and to get your votes in for the best game. But yeah, the entry deadline is July 31st, so that's probably cutting it close for getting this episode out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if we'll make it or not. Maybe. Maybe. They'll give the person a couple hours to make a game. Yeah, that they'll have five hours to make play, a game. Yeah, <laughs> playing time. <laughs> All right, so, so let's start with the news. Do we have news? There's a few things in news. Um, first was the the announcement that Victory Point Games sent out a, a week or so ago, right? They they have you seen this, Chris? They've said basically they're going to stop doing their print on demand service. Yeah, they're they're moving out of California. They're which and they're losing their printer that they have. And I've actually toured their offices in California. The whole oh. back office is uh, these giant laser printers, and they've got cutters and card cutters, and they have all this big equipment in the back of their office. And they're they're losing all of it. They're moving out of California to another location, and uh, they will no longer be doing printing and demand. Everything's moving to China, I think. Wow. Okay. So I mean, so that's interesting. So that'll probably change the kind of games that are available, right? Because because with print on demand, you, you could do any game, and if nobody buys it, no big deal. That wasn't a lot of effort. But once it's in China, you know, they're only going to produce games that they feel good about already for sure. Yeah, I think you're going to see more games that look more like Dawn of the Zeds 3 and the new edition of Nemo's War rather than some of the smaller, um, you know, um, pew-pew type games that maybe aren't going to find as big of a, an audience. Pew-pew? <laughs> pew-pew. It's one of their recent games. Uh, it's a space shooter game. It's supposed to be like an arcade, like pew-pew-pew. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. I had not heard of that one before. <laughs> Sorry, it, it, it's a real game. It probably sounded like I was making something up. But. I thought you were saying it's like a category of games, like pew pew type games. I'm like, I've never heard of that category before. <laughs> or I, I could have category I, of what? I could have gone with why. I could have said, uh, you know, they're not going to make guy, games like why anymore. And then you'd think, uh, who's on first? So, 
Yeah, I mean, see, that's the thing. They've got a lot of interesting games, and a lot of that will probably disappear. And, you know, they'll still have I, great I games. I wonder what that's going to do for their cost, their prices, though. I, I felt before that many of Victory Point games are on the higher end of the cost. Yeah, well, you know, their their cost actually went down when they got to the deluxe printing method. Before, it used to be a little more expensive for the same mm-hmm. games. And suddenly, mm-hmm. you're getting nicer-looking games in the boxes for less money. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. But yeah, I you know, I imagine that's gonna lower the cost some because they're gonna be printing in bulk, so it's you know, cheaper. I also wonder if we're gonna be seeing more. A lot of the games that they've put out have been solitaire games and you know, almost unabashedly so they've just said they're going to be solitaire. But as we see more of them going to China, like we saw for Dawn of the Zeds, before they moved to the deluxe edition, they wanted to make sure that it had multiplayer friendly rules. You saw that also for Nemo's War, they wanted to have be multiplayer rules and i wonder if we're going to be seeing more times where it's not going to be solitaire only and it's going to also have multiplayer versions included or primarily well and can a smaller game like something like toe-to-toe nuclear combat with the ruskies Mm -hmm. uh, they released a few years ago it's a solitaire very small package very few counters little board and they could produce that pretty cheaply just printing it in-house with their own printers and cutters. But is that economically viable to take that one to China? It's it's hard to see how those kind of games fit in, you know, solitaire-specific that are kind of a, a niche, you know. Like, I don't think that game appealed to as many people as something like Dawn of the Zeds did. And I, I love that kind of game, but I fear that it might not make the transition. But, you know, obviously speculating a little here. Mm-hmm, yep. But, you know, it seems like there are other companies that are also trying to fill that same gap that uh, VPG has been filling. So, so Which maybe, ones are you thinking of? Well, White Dog Games, for example. Tiny Battle Publisher is another one that is producing. They did the uh, Invaders from Dimension X and just came out with the sequel, mm-hmm. Space Vermin from Beyond. Same kind of <laughs> thing. It's silly, small counters, you know, not a huge game. It might not have a huge, huge market for a game called Space Vermin from Beyond, although it, it's a good game. I like it. I recommend it. But um, I, I think they might be stepping in and filling in some of that gap as well. Okay. And VPG started strictly with war games and eventually, well, I don't know. Yeah, they know they did, I think, and have branched off since then. So maybe maybe the same sort of things will happen. Are there any games you guys are concerned are not going to get republished in bigger formats now that are going to die away? Oh, yeah. My favorite series of theirs is the Disaster in the Himalaya series, which is... I, I've played... I've only... I've played two of them. I haven't played the first one. The uh, Disaster in Everest. Right? They started with the tallest peak and working their way down. And the the second was... They released three of those games, I think, yeah. The, yep, they released three. The third one is no longer available. They decided it wasn't selling enough, apparently. Um, which was a neat idea. It was a disaster on Kanchenjunga, and it was a you're, you're climbing the mountain, but because there's a, a a movie that was based on climbing that mountain, it might have been a James Bond movie or something. I don't know. Th- this one, you actually had a spy, and then you're trying to find the spy. And it was it was a neat idea, but it's gone. I know that I asked them about Renegade at least, and they told us that Renegade was going to get published um, through a mass market publish. Mm, okay. Yeah. And that's a game they've been playtesting for a while now. I don't know where it's holding, if it's been playtested okay. fully or if it's been just going through pre-publication. Okay. I'm not sure. but It's been development for a while. Get, yeah, at the very okay. least. 
a few years ago, I don't know if you guys remember, GMT put a pre-order out for three or four of the States of Siege games inside of one box. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a a unique thing. You know, the pre-order ended up getting canceled, and those games stayed at Victory Point Games. But when I look at some of the States of Siege games, especially some of the smaller ones um, that maybe wouldn't justify being in a box by themselves. I, I've wondered if we might see that format come back where States of Siege games are published in a, you know, in a three pack or a four pack so that they can make a box printed in China a little bit more valuable than, than doing them one at a time now. Yep. Or, or they'll start doing bigger ones only. Yeah. Cause otherwise I'm afraid we might lose some of those earlier States of Siege games, uh, that are, that are smaller, especially, I mean, I can see the the English Revolution one staying because it's a pretty big game, um, but some of those earlier ones might be a little too small. Like, is Israeli Independence worth printing in a big box? It's I, it's a good game. I like <laughs> it. Or but or Blood Red Banner, those kind of games. I, I'm I'm a little worried that I hope they don't disappear completely. I hope they find a way to keep them. I don't know. I also kind of feel like there's a certain amount of Cult of the New going on where. If it's going to come out, it's probably going to come out in a second edition and be changed significantly like we saw for any of the other new edition ones that they were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think if they publish the the those small ones again, like you were saying, they'll, they'll probably, like those old Victory Point games, they'll probably publish those as a set. Because I think some of those are especially popular, like the Israeli Independence. And, um... The Alamo one also. I almost ordered the new edition of Empires in America, one of their earlier States of Siege games. Um, but I have the original and the expansion, and from what I read, it, it was like new graphics and updated components, but the game was pretty much the same, so I decided to just keep what I had in the end there. But I've been placing a few orders with them because I'm afraid some of these things are going to disappear. And you know, If they're available, they might not be available for a while, and some of them might just be gone forever. So, I mean, it's a shame, but on the other hand, they do make nice games, and it'll be nice to see high-quality games they're going to be producing in the future. So, so it's a mixed bag. I, personally, for me, I think it's a good thing to be doing. I think that they were being held down by sticking with the print-on-demand only, and I think that the quality of the games stacks up more highly and ranks more highly, and being that Victory Point Games has really been one of the leaders in um, developing and printing solitaire friendly. I like seeing that, you know, they're entering in, in sort of a similar quality production line to the other standard type games out there. So, and I did see a lot of comments over the years when someone would order a victory points game and maybe the counters were a little offset on the front and back. I mean, the print on demand method came with a few flaws and I think most players just kind of accepted it and just enjoyed the game. But you'd see some people really complain about these counters look cheap. I could do this better as a print and play. This these cards are cheap. I can't shuffle them. And those complaints were coming out, you know, especially before the the new Red Banner games came out or, or the Gold Banner games, the the newer, nicer edition. So I think this will help them appeal more to new players because every time somebody ordered something like Israeli independence. You can go into the forums on BGG or Consum World and see a lot of complaints about the quality, which 
I don't think you're going to see as much anymore because everything I've read about Dawn of the Zed's third edition is that the components are great. So, Albert. Yes. Um, you were really interested when they had that Descent app that was coming out. Did you ever play with the Descent app? Not really. I've played the game once or twice, and I've been thinking about it just this afternoon. I was thinking about it. I really should try it again. The problem for me is that I'll have to use it on my laptop, and I don't want a big laptop at the table with the game. Mm. I, I, I wish see. I had a tablet I could use with it. So I've avoided trying it. You know you can just get a cheap Amazon tablet for like 30 bucks. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, you, an Amazon with- Fire. How big is it? Well, here's the uh, thing. It's a 7-inch tablet. I, I tried it on my 7-inch tablet, I think. Did I? Maybe, yes. And I, I found it very small. Interesting. Uh, unplayably small. I haven't tried it. I'm curious what's going to be with the newest thing that they're doing. Uh, are you a fan of Mansions of Madness? I have not played that game. Mansions of Madness in its first edition was a very puzzly type of game um, where you had a lot of modular rooms that get plugged together and set and that came with a book of stories that one player was the dungeon master and they would set it up and there was a sort of theme that was going through it like for instance this theme was all about a necromancer raising up people and setting them on fire in order to unlock some ghost or something like that and so as you explored around the rooms you sort of laid through this story element to the game. And there are physical pieces of puzzles. So, for instance, there was a certain puzzle that came out where you had cardboard tokens where you would put together a line of tokens in order to connect them all together so you could channel across from one end to the other like a circuit. And so there was actual physical puzzles in the game that were interspersed in order to open up rooms or to do trigger certain events. So they're coming out with a second edition. I do not know what all is coming out of the second edition, and I expect that there's going to be more information coming out about this after Gen Con. We currently don't even see what's coming in the second edition. But the second edition is app-required. It doesn't work without the app. Mm. It must have the app. And the app creates the scenarios, creates the tiles and events. There's no book involved in this case. So each one, and I imagine that this will be a really easy way for them to put extra scenarios in the game and to put extra events and things in the game and maybe extra puzzles. I don't know if the puzzles are going to be app-based puzzles, if the puzzles are going to be cardboard now, or if you put the cardboard on top of the app. I have no idea. But it's it requires the app, and they've redesigned how all the rooms fit together and the look of the game. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing pictures. It looks nice. Mm-hmm. It really does. Darn, I have to pack up my Descent stuff, take it back, and trade it for this one. Maybe, maybe very well. <laughs> I, I played Mansions of Madness before, and I liked the puzzle. I liked the puzzle elements and the exploration elements. Um... It played very differently than Descent. Descent was very much a dungeon crawl. This mm-hmm. one felt like it was designed to be more of a role-playing experience mm-hmm. um, as opposed to actually being more strategic. The problem I had with the first version of Mansions of Madness was that I never really got the story out of it. I had minor encounters happening, but I never understood the story that was going on there. Usually after the game, the dungeon master would be like, oh, this is everything that had been happening, and you guys just sort of waltzed through it and killed it all. 
I'm like, oh, <laughs> I totally hadn't understood that, but that would make a great novel. Yeah, fun. You know? Have you played Betrayal House on the Hill? If I remember right, Mansions of Madness is somehow based on it. Are, are they similar? Very similar, do you think? Or Not so much. Okay. That's the one I have experience with. They're not so much similar, no. Well, neat. So I look forward to see more about that. It requires an app, which is interesting. I know some folks hate things that require apps. I, I don't know that I mind it, but if it's going to be the same issue that I have with the same where on a 7-inch screen it looks too small, I'll just pass on it. Or buy a 10-inch screen, which is what I really want. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different issue, isn't it? Well, I'm going to have to take a look at it and see how it looks on a 7-inch screen. I don't know. It doesn't look like it would be too small, but I also don't mind small screens on things. But I'd like to see how they do the puzzles. I thought that the puzzles in the first version was something that really distinguished it from other types of things out there. So we will have to see how all that looks out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any other news? The one-player guild is about the second largest guild right now. I think last week when we talked about it, it was about like 80 members away from being number two. Right now, it's about two members from being number two. It's time to create some sock puppet accounts and get this done. (laughs) (laughs) I can't keep track of all of them. No. (laughs) So, yeah, it's close. It's close. It's pretty exciting. How many of those members are your sock puppets, Albert? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I did make an account for my kids at one point, and I made them join. And I made it so that I could track the games that they own that aren't mine. So when they move off to college and they want to take games, I could say, "Uh uh-uh, wait, wait, wait. Candyland is yours. Look here, it's on BGG. <laughs> uh, shoot. And actually, actually, I also use it to log plays with them. Side side mention: I realize I still haven't put up the what's it's missing for the last two episodes now. Don't. <laughs> you got him. I'm gonna have to start reminding you about it. Yeah, because I don't do it right when I release it. Because we came to the decision that gets more posts but. <laughs> only if it's there to get post uh, voted on <laughs> <laughs> step one yeah uh, shoot well that's alright I thought you had uh, Nikolai make a decision for you last time he did and I guess Julius he's going to do won. it this time Chris <laughs> <laughs> I'm on it we'll have, to, we'll have to get back to that later I would have seconded Oops. his vote for vitamins uh, last week too <laughs> alright um any more news? I don't think we have anything else. None that I remember, no. Nope. Should we move on to Kickstarter? Do, 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 do. I don't think we have a Kickstarter intro, do we? I do not. Oh, I, it's... Well, no. I'll wait for Kickstarter. Wait, what? No, I'll wait what? for Kickstarter. I'll this is it. Kickstarter. Okay. Well, let's talk about our first game then, which is Hostage Negotiator. I'm very excited about this one. Hostage Negotiator Crime Wave went live today on Kickstarter. If you're not familiar with Hostage Negotiator... It was the one-player guild solitaire game of the year last year. It's a fun, neat game about fighting, um, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, hostage takers and trying to rescue the hostages. Abductors. Abductors, thank you. I always forget that word. So this game went live today. It is um, a standalone expansion. It's a new hostage taker with new conversation cards that are different from the old one. And it has new abductors. And there's three new packs available, uh, abductor packs. Um, it also comes in a much bigger box. 
and it can be shuffled in with the old one. You can uh, do some mixing and matching between the two and use conversation cards from one uh, to the other, I believe, right? Yes, that's right. I don't know how... You know, there must be some restrictions around it. Like, you couldn't use all eight zero-cost cards, which would be awesome if you could, but yeah, that might make it un- unbalanced. The interesting thing is it, I mean, there it has a bigger there box. rules for how to mix those together. Yeah, there, there must be. And it's probably based on cost, you know, certain number of each cost. We talked nice. about last week. We Did we? Last oh, I don't yeah. remember. It was late. I don't remember. I looked at it this morning. It's already uh, hit a number of yeah. pledges. Has it hit its campaign goal already? Or Yes. It hits, it's at, the goal was 25000 It's at 35000 now. Okay, it hadn't quite hit when I looked at it earlier, but I got an email that said, "Would you? can you be in the first 100 backers? And I clicked on it about an hour after the email was sent, and I was already too late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe that. I I don't know. I was I was refreshing at my desk, waiting for it to start. I had to run off away from my desk for a moment, and then I heard my phone give me a message saying, "Oh yeah, the campaign started." So I think I was like number twelve. I came right back, and it was too late. <laughs> it was fun to try. So apparently, they have hit three stretch goals. Then no, two stretch goals. Larger custom dice and a large board. It's not a bad first day. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, now, the interesting thing is the box is much bigger, right? Which is something people had asked for because the, the old box is getting crowded. Um, it's actually big enough to hold your old box plus all the cards and components. Yeah, and all eight abductor packs. Yeah. That uh, looks like, and there's a picture of it. You can see the big, the the old box getting in, put into the big box with all the cards and all that, with plenty of room to grow. And it looks like that larger board is pretty much the same as the older board, so you can use the larger board with your old set too, which which will make it a little nicer to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Julius and I were talking about that earlier. We're trying to figure out if it's actually larger like i was hoping there's more space for my hostages because honestly they get a little crowded in some of the scenarios and that just makes it more stressful for them it doesn't look like there are though it looks like they've added space on the expanded board for placing your card decks and things but it doesn't look like there's actually more room for that mm-hmm. yeah i think you might be right i've also not really found i need more room personally not that i'm arguing with you i just don't think i need more room <laughs> Yeah, the layout's a little rearranged and all that also. Yep, who knows? We shall see. At this point, those things will happen, so we'll know in in a number of months. There's, It's a short campaign. There's only 23 days to go at this point, so it's a 24-day campaign. Um... I like that they have multiple pledge levels. You can pledge, I think it's $35 just to get the game. Or $50 to get the game and the expansion packs. But then they've also thrown in extra offers so you can get the original expansion pack. So if you just bought the base game and now you want all eight abductor packs, they've got a pledge just for that. So you can get the new game plus all eight expansion or er, abductor packs. So it's a, it's a pretty nice setup and you can find something that works for you so you can get, you know, exactly what you want. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's only seven abductor packs. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. There's four from the first campaign and then three new ones. I was I was miscounting in my head somehow, thinking there was four from each. 
Yeah. Well, I thought they were supposed to be four. That's I a, think maybe maybe it's a a later release. Yeah, could be. Right, right now on the Kickstarter campaign, there's only three of them listed. I, I thought I heard four earlier, but maybe I'm mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Does anyone know? Uh, I don't remember this coming up in the conversation last week, but do the new abductor packs play with the old base game just as is, or do you need the new conversation cards and new terror cards for them? Do they do they need Crime they, Wave or do they, they do not? They do not need Crime Wave. Okay. Oh well, yeah, it would be nice to be able to buy them uh, just on their own then. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Now you, you guys gave me homework last week, Julius. <laughs> I did, did do my homework. Through? Yes, I followed through and I played that scenario. I only played it once. I meant to go back. I, I after I was almost finished, I realized I'd made a mistake. Um, I don't remember what the mistake was now, but I, I realized it would have been much harder if I'd done it right. I still have done more my homework from like a week ago. Uh oh. <laughs> I was supposed to play Magic Realms Light Thirty. I think it was called not Magic Realms. Uh, Magic. Yes. Magic Realms Light Thirty, whatever it was. That print and play that won on the um, the awards, whatever it was. The print and play that won the awards, Magic Realm Light 30. I was supposed to play it, and I pulled out the rules. It was more complicated than I wanted to print all that, so I didn't do it. <laughs> well, it's still it's based on a game with like a three-volume rule book, so... <laughs> right. So you can only it was, condense it, it so much. <laughs> maybe one day, maybe. All right. Do we have any more Kickstarters? Sure. I'm going to pick and choose ones that I'm looking at here. Here's one that maybe we can convince Albert to do. Fire of Eidolon? 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 Let's see. Make a pick. E-I. <laughs> E-I-D-O-L-O-N. Fire of Eidolon. Um, this is an inexpensive game. Small box type game. It is only $24. It sort of reminds me of Pandemic, really, with some changes going on here. Here's why. The idea of the game is that you'll be, um, on your turn, you're going to be pulling out these dungeon tiles. And the dungeon tiles build out where it is that you're allowed to walk throughout the rooms, throughout the dungeon. So you build them out and sort of like an escape. You take a tile and you put it down attaching to one of the other areas in the, in the board and you'll continue to build out. And then you get to walk your character around. And as you walk your character around, you'll get to fight off cultists and hopefully pick up, um, level up tokens, dexterity tokens, intellect tokens, and strength tokens. And the whole goal of the game is to take those dexterity, intellect, and strength tokens, collect them up, bring them over to the uh, relic tokens. There's three tokens, one for each of those types. And then once you've collected each of those relics, you'll be able to go pick up the Fire of Adalon relic. And once you've picked up the Fire of Adalon relic, you have to drag it back to the start. The easiest way to lose is that on your turn, you'll pull out more um, cards from a draw deck that'll tell you where to put cultist tokens. If cultist tokens ever overwhelm an area, you're going to start losing. Hmm, neat. Okay. That, and, that and overwhelm idea is already what starts to remind me of Pandemic, because essentially you're running around the board, you have to prevent 
disease breakout, cultist breakout, while you go and you pick up the things and take them back to another spot. Mm-hmm. That that does look and sound neat. It looks it's, awful fun. I like the modular board. It's got a modular board, yeah, that grows as you play with those tiles. And it's got pixelized art. This is trying to make you think of the SNES days. Um, so it's got pixelized art. And each one of the characters that you can play as has their own unique ability. <clears throat> so, like, there's the warrior who can attack more easily, and there's the ranger who can attack from a distance. And so each of the various characters has their own different ability. But you're using the ability to go collect up everything, fight off the cultists, and and rescue the fire of Adalon. Neat. Yeah, that is neat. Mm-hmm. And it's not too expensive from the look of it. It's only $24. One nice thing that does come with is you can change how hard the game is based upon the card settings. The, there's different cards, eight different cards um, that can be used to change how difficult the game will be. And there's a there's a pledge level where you could name your own party, which I guess you could customizable characters of some kind. I don't know. It doesn't seem necessary. Sounds neat. Yeah, this is a neat game. Mm-hmm. And it's actually already backed, and they're heading into stretch goals. They have a whole list of stretch goals that they're going to want. It looks like there's a free print-and-play version, too, for people that want to try it ahead of time. Mm, good, thing okay. we have Chris on, good thing we have Chris on here to talk about the print-and-play. Yeah, it never gets mentioned if I'm not on here. So, <laughs> No, it doesn't. I know exactly the reason why. I will sometimes mention that they have things like a tabletopia or a tabletop simulator because I'm much more likely to do that than I am to actually print it all off. But then again, I think that's why they subscribe to your blog. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's definitely the place to go for print and play Kickstarters, whether they're solo or not. <laughs> <laughs> Neat. Anyway, so that's Fire of Adelon. Again, it's only twenty four dollars, and it's going to be finishing up on August twelfth. I'm taking a look at those files now. It doesn't look like it's too bad to build, but it's uh, there's definitely several pieces there. It's about seven pages, so I think it's just part of maybe a sample of the game or something like that. Oh, that would make sense, yeah. All right, is there anything else going on in Kickstarter these days? Sure. I'm looking to see if this one's a print-and-play. If it is, <laughs> I would definitely mention it, just because we have Chris involved. Ah, <laughs> uh, it doesn't. Let me see here. What's the next one I want to talk about? One moment, let me pick which one I want to do, because I want to do mm-hmm. all of these, and I have to pick one. Difficult decisions. Every time I go to a Kickstarter, that's the first thing I do a search for. Hit Control F and type in print or PNP and see what pops up. <laughs> All right, next thing we're going to talk about is the fate of the Elder Gods, and this is a competitive game. They do say it's one to four players. I can imagine what the solo rules are going to look like. Unfortunately, when you go and look at it, they do not have the solo rules yet involved include in their rulebook. Um. Don't know why, but take that as what you will. This is a game coming out from Greater Than Games. And they do have certainly a reputation for some really good games. This one, I think, also looks really nice. In Rise of the Elder... Uh, excuse me, Fate of the Elder Gods. Amazingly, it's not called Rise of the Elder Gods. But Fate of the Elder Gods, you are members of a cult. Each player is members of a cult trying to compete, compete 
to summon your elder god to destroy the world, take over the world, cast the world into eternal darkness, some sort of really bad thing that you're trying to cause. Um, and the way this works is there's the main board, which is the clock, the fake clock. And you'll be able to move around the board by playing different cards. This is another game that has, I'm going to call it marked back cards. There's a lot of different spells that you'll be able to take into your hand. And each of those spells has on the back side, has on the back side a different sort of astral symbol. And so you'll, you'll be able to move around the fate board and play out one of those spell cards to their back to add an astral symbol to an area. And when a sim, when an area has enough of an astral symbol on it, you'll be able to actually spend those symbols from the area in order to cast one of your spells. So for instance, you'll be able to cast Wither and you'll be able to move people around or destroy people or you'll be able to use Gate to the Past which lets you destroy some people in order to take advantage of a different area. And then each one of the different characters, each one of the different players also will be controlling a different sort of, a different sort of elder god. Um, and so that'll give each player also a distinct set of abilities that they'll be able to use on their turn. Fighting against the players, in addition to just fighting against themselves, are the investigators. Um, this game has some custom dice that you'll have to roll also at certain points in times when you do things. And if the dice come up showing investigators, which is the success symbol from Arkham Horror, if it shows up as the investigators, so investigators are going to start um, coming into your area. And if too many investigators start coming out, they'll start casting Elder Signs on your god, on your Elder God, thus blocking out your Elder God from coming back out. And if you're, if the investigators manage to completely get you blocked out, then you will lose the game due to the investigators having to um, stop you. <laughs> it's It's hard for me to continue to refer to it as the good guys and the bad guys, because here the roles have been switched. You're playing as mm -hmm. a bad guy in this one. So, But anyway, if enough investigators come out, the investigators will be able to completely lock out your god from coming back, and they will beat you. I imagine that the solitaire version of the game is going to ramp up what it is that the investigators can do, so it'll turn into a fight between the player versus the investigators as opposed to the players versus other players. But again, the solitaire rules are not actually included in their print-and-play rulebook. I do not know if and when they intend on putting that one out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it may just be solitaire in the take-two-rolls kind of solitaire well i don't think this is this is a competitive game this is not a cooperative uh, okay good point good point okay so taking two rolls probably i mean while we do have some people who enjoy playing the games that way this is not this is not designed for that this is i've been told designed to be a true solitary experience uh -huh. although i've yet to receive what the rules are <laughs> and it was designed by richard lanius who made arkham horror and other games and it's also done by Daryl Lauder, I believe. What is he? Daryl Lauder is bottom of the bottom ninth. Bottom of the ninth. Okay, yep. Neat. This is neat. Yeah, I like um, I like that switching of the roles. That's pretty creative. Having you play mm -hmm. as the cultists and fighting against the investigators. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I've said before, I want to see a State of Siege game where you're you're trying to bring Cthulhu back and line up all the stars, and your track will be how you line up the stars. Well, isn't that what you're doing here? Maybe so, but it's not States of Siege. It's not States of Siege, true. <laughs> um, game does a couple of things just to mention about the components of the game. I like the art on the main board. The art on the main board is really nice and evocative of the different types of areas. In addition, it does come with um, mini figures. There's two, three types of sculpts. There's the Cthulhu sculpt, which goes around the board and determines um, where it is that you're going to be able to go to next, which area you go to next. There's the investigator sculpts, which is this uh, Carmen Sandiego looking girl. I think mm-hmm. she looks like. Yes, she does. And then there's the cultists um, sculpt, which is each player is going to have a different color cultist. Um, nice looking sculpts, nice looking little minis. Fortunately, I don't think the minis in this game increase the cost too much. Um, assuming you're not going for the super expensive version that comes with the art book, it's a $60, um, pledge to go ahead and get this one. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's not too bad at all. Yeah, it's already funded. <laughs> is it? Okay. Oh, they're about to unlock the next stretch go, which is... Resin Dice, I think. I think Resin Dice yes. is their first one. Resin Dice. Because originally it's just the printed dice, but then they're, if they move to Resin Dice, you know, that's always better because less scratch and things. Mm-hmm. All right. Nothing else. We're done. We're done? I guess so. I have nothing else to say about it. I agree. I like it. All right. Well, let me see. Do I want to do... I'm not going to back it because I backed Fire of Adelon. Did you really? I, I did, but we'll see if I stick with it. I was actually thinking about backing this one, but I also still really want to get the Spirit Island one that I did not back, but looks really cool and is hopefully coming out soon, but is very tangential. <laughs> so anyway, I sent you both a link to one that is not yet out. This is the Game of Energy. The Game of Energy. Energy. So this one will be out by the time we start, by the time we publish the podcast, theoretically. But it's not out yet. And I have the advanced release to the Kickstarter, so I'll let you guys take a second to look at it. It looks like a complicated board, and there's a lot of hex sections. There are a lot of hex sections, but as, you, as you'll perhaps see from some pictures later on, the different tiles are usually more than one hex. I think the smallest section is four hexes. So the okay. board isn't going to be filled with so many things. I think there are even some that come up to nine or ten hexes. And you'll start to really fill up areas pretty fast. Oh, no, there are some that are one hex areas. Um, they show you down below the different size ones. But because a lot of the things are more than one hex, it'll start to fill up the board much faster than you really think. Um Anyway, we're talking here about Game of Energy. Uh, Game of Energy is another one that's on Kickstarter. This one's going for $50. The idea of this game is that there's an energy crisis coming up, and your job is to try to solve the energy crisis by creating methods or factories or harvest means to produce enough energy. And the player who produces the most energy is the one who's going to win the game. If enough energy is not being created and the world goes dark, then the game will end. The idea of the game is that you're building structures out on the board. 
um, you're drawing grid cards, which will allow you to put out structures and do stuff. Get energy credits, which is units in order to be able to pay to do stuff, and then roll the territory die. The territory die is a custom die, which makes different things happen on the board. It'll open up different zones on the board, open up environmental effects, build energy, and change different things running around the board. The game without the dummy corp doesn't play solitaire, but when you back in on Kickstarter, it comes with a solitaire expansion called the dummy corp. Um, the dummy corp is a set of cards, which remind me sort of the way Automa does that. It's a set of cards used. It's 10 cards used to sort of make a dummy player who will try and act intelligently and block you and run around the game. But it's a method of, either adding an extra player or enabling solitaire play to be able to increase the increase the game. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so if you get it through Kickstarter, you get the solo game, but if you buy it later on retail, the solo game is an expansion you gotta buy. Yes. Okay. And that's I about li- all I have to say about it. Okay, I like the look of the game. I, I like the board. Though at the same time something about it is jarring and what i what i don't know I what it is, is but it draws my eye to it I what it. i think is jarring if you look at things individually they look nice so like look at the tiles it looks nice look at the board it looks nice look at the cards with the barons it looks nice but the problem is greatest if you look at the box art if you look at the box art the people on it don't match the designs behind it and I think that they're running into an issue where it's not coming together comprehensively when you have everything all together. So I think the individual, I'm concerned also about the same sort of thing with the tiles on the board, that the tiles don't look like they're going to match the art on the board. This is something that's, especially with the tiles on the board, it's hard to say that without having seen the final production, but I think I can certainly say it about the, about the box art. The people on the box art make it very jarring in front of that landscape, and I think that they probably would have been a lot better off if they take the people off the box art. I kind of like the people. They on the box nice. art? Yeah, I do. The pictures behind them, not as much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 there's a juxtaposition, right? It, it, they sort of clash. That's a thing. So whether you like the art in the back or the people... You're right, they don't necessarily go together as well. At least that's the impression I'm getting. Yes, I think there is that clash. One way or the other, there's a clash between the front and the back, and they need to pull back and make one cohesive piece of art for the box. Like a unified artistic style. Yes, and I just don't think they have that yet. And I don't see in the components that they have a unified artistic style. I think that, I mean, the Baron cards never interact with everything else, and so I think that if the the people cards don't match everything else, it's okay. But I think that at least the tokens need to do a better job of matching the style on the board. I may be wrong. I may be right. I do not know. I can see what you're saying. Looking at this kind of from a rules perspective, it looks like in the multiplayer game there's a little stab your opponent in the back or take that screw you kind of game 
Um, in the solitaire variant, it looks like they've removed that and they're giving it. Um, they describe it as a pure Euro experience. So they're they're removing that uh, take that aspect out of the game for the solitaire variant. Having read over the rules, I'm not sure that that. I mean, I haven't seen like Rado play through it. Rado being notorious for not playing mean. I think that's more a matter of you can take someone's area when they're building it up. You can lock someone in. You can grab their resources. The game isn't designed with a take that mechanic. I think that just simply because it's limited resources and limited space, it's going to, it, it, naturally causes to be that when you take someone else's resource or when someone starts building up, you can lock them back out. And when there's not the multiplayer interaction, you lose that. But I don't think to take that as integral to the game, from my review of it. Okay, I see. Rado would probably be the best person to really judge that, because <laughs> he's such a care bear when it comes to playing games. <laughs> not, not a good diplomacy player, then? He is not. Oh. So that is Game of Energy. All right, so that is our Kickstarter report. Huzzah! Let's let's move on to to Chris and the solitaire print and play contest. Yeah, this is a sixth year of the solitaire print and play contest that we're doing. This. Wow! Okay. That's neat. How many games have have gone through it that have been completed? Do you know? Uh, yeah, we've got. There was fifty games entered, and we've got about a week left. At the time we're recording this, there's about a week till the entry deadline. So right now, there are I think there's thirty seven games that are completed, or you know, like they're they're getting completed. They have components you can download them and play them. And there's 12 games that are still in the idea phase where you haven't released components, but maybe you're working on it with hand-drawn components or something like that. Um, a lot of the designers, I talked to everyone today that had not finished their game yet, and many of them reported back that they're still working on it and they're hoping to get it done. So I think we're going to have somewhere in the high 40s, 45 or so when this is done. So it's a pretty good number of entries this year. Wow, Okay. That's neat. Uh, I haven't followed too close this year, but the, the the ones I've seen have looked all really interesting and unique. Yeah, I've played uh, about, I don't know, 12 to 15 of the games. I've read the rules of of, of many, uh, and I'm trying to play as many as I can this year, uh, and I've been pretty impressed with them. Like, this is this has been a good year for games, and I, I know I say that every year, but this, this, <laughs> this really is. It, it's a, I feel like a lot of these designers are back year after year after year, and they just get better with, with every year because uh, they've practiced and they know what works and what doesn't and how what their process is. And um, So I think we're seeing it, – it's it's cool to see these designers, some of whom who started in the BGG contest, really turning into experienced and excellent game designers. I've played so few this year. In past years, I've played – a lot of them, especially I've played all the ones that end up being really popular and getting high in the final results. I've not played almost any this year, which is really unfortunate. So what what I've seen this year, um, in, in previous years, I feel like there's always been several 
pretty large games, maybe that are a little bit more difficult to make or, or, or time-consuming to make, maybe not hard, but just there's a lot of stuff to cut out. I'm thinking of like Project Discovery from last year, which was it's a really good game, but you're looking at a good hour or two to, to build that thing. Um, and this year, there's a ton of games that are just like four pages of cards or... Um, you know, e- even less. A-, a lot of games that just have a board and use a standard deck. So a lot of these games are a lot easier. Uh, so if there's people listening that aren't as into the print and play thing and don't want to spend an hour making games, um, there really aren't that many that are huge. It- most of these games are pretty easy to build and, and pretty creatively done. Hmm, that's neat. I think the biggest game in the contest this year um, so far is Photon Galactic Traders. Um, and I built that out. I mean, it was definitely you know, a larger build, but even that was not as be- 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 uh, big as something like uh, Project Discovery or um, some of these earlier games from previous years that were you know, a lot more time-consuming to build. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that 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 can make it tough. You know, the other day I haven't played it, but I've been wanting to play um again Reconquista, which I think was from about two years ago in the contest. Yeah, I think that won uh, best war game or second place in the best war game a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was published by White Dog a few years ago. Yes, and that's the version I have, and that's a neat game. That's a neat game. You know, so many neat games have come out of the contest over the years really has been very fruitful at the uh first year um the the winner that year uh as soon as i start talking about it the name then the, <laughs> <laughs> the name disappears from my mind uh inspector moss um inspector moss uh was just published um it's another one of the games like we were talking about with uh vpg that went to uh um a, a multiplayer, but it was just released as Commonville. I'm looking up right now. It's uh, the, str- On the VPG. No, no, not. Uh, it's like VPG, where you take a solo game and make it multiplayer. That's what I meant. Um, oh. But <laughs> Inspector Moss was just released as the Streets of Commonville. So that's another one uh, from earlier on in the contest. It's now a one to four. When was game. it released? This year, uh, just just a few months ago. Nobody tells me of these things. <laughs> it's from a publisher called Common Man Games, and then the, it's called The Streets of Commonville. So I, I think they rethemed it a little to go with their the company name. I don't know. I like the art on uh, Inspector Moss. It's one I, I always wanted to print and never actually got to. I think there was another one that was a big one to print, as I recall. Yeah, Inspector Moss had, I think, like a 16 tile grid and then there was little stand up pieces and um you know not probably not terrible to build but a little larger than like a simple card game for sure huh now i want to look into the streets of commonville one have you played it no i don't have a copy of it yet i need to uh add it to my next game order from when i place it sometime I've tried to get all the published versions of games that have come through the contest. Got oh, neat. Deep Space D6 was just released on Kickstarter. 
I just got my copy of that in the mail a little while ago. And then um, Elevens is for One also just uh, had a successful Kickstarter. And that, that mm-hmm. was a second place in the contest, I think two or three years ago. Yep, that's a neat little game. Yeah, the few of them have been published. Do you know how many offhand? Uh, those four are the ones that I'm aware of. There's been a few app developments. Uh, McKee mm-hmm. was published as an app on Android a while ago and just came out on iOS, I think, just this week. And we're running a contest for it, which is probably going to be ending almost immediately after this podcast goes up. Oh, yeah, for the promotion codes for that game. That's right. Yeah, I have that on my Android tablet, so it's a really good implementation. Of course, the print-and-play version as well. So um, so I, I think it's just those four games that have been published so far. But there, you know, there may be more in the future for sure. I'm always hoping to see more games come out of the contest and get published. I think it's definitely a mark of honor to see it continue to happen, to see these, you know, join in. Why do you think it hasn't happened more? Is it just because, like, publishers aren't really noticing them? Or or is it that the designers really need to go then follow up after the, the publishers and say, hey, look, I made this game and it did well in well the contest? I'm aware of one game, and I don't know if the designer would want me to mention the name, but uh, Victory Point Games was looking at it really seriously and then ended up deciding that it wasn't a good fit. Um, I think a lot of these games, maybe it's, you know, some of them are smaller card games or, or um, you know, not quite as, you know, there's not a, a lot of components for like a, a GMT type company would never publish it. Because, you know, they have a a huge box with a million components, typically. Um, So I wonder if it's just a case of finding a right fit for the company. I also don't think publishers are going to come over and just look at the contest and be like, oh, I want to do that. I don't think. I think that you need to actively go to the publisher and be like, oh, I did really well. I want you to publish this. Will you? Okay. And I think uh, it hasn't been released yet, but Court of Zhangxi by Todd Sanders that is uh, going to be published by Ludo Creations um, coming up in the near future here. And I think they reached out to him after seeing the game. Oh, really? <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, interesting. That surprises me that they reached out to him. I would not expect that you'd have publishers just simply looking for that. I think, he, I think he's, he's, a couple he's worked with them on other games, so I think they... They, they were ah. familiar with him as a designer. Okay. I see. And so now the contest is going on this year, and when the people are listening to this, it's probably time to go out and play games and vote. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I've got the dates right here. So the, yeah, the, the entry deadline is July 31st, so maybe you'll have a day or two um, if you have a last-minute game to get in when this podcast is released. But I think for most people, if, if you'd like to come in and vote and you know play these games and vote on them, uh, that voting is going to take place on September 4th. So we have pretty much like the month of August to, uh, to play these games. And I'm planning on you know trying to play as many more as I can. Uh, I, I always try to get as many as I can in there so I can make a good decision 
haven't played every game entered in a single year yet. I, <laughs> it's always my goal. I'd love to be able to say I did that, but you know, that's, <laughs> it's a lot of games to, to build and, and play. <laughs> it probably gets harder every year, too. <laughs> Not even the build time, reading the rules, playing the game. Like The time adds up, and pretty soon my wife is like, um, <laughs> you know, come pay attention to the family now. <laughs> So, so if you're new to the contest and you want to check it out, you want to, I guess you want to go to BGG and, and find the, the contest thread, which is a, a thread you've started, and it lists all the different games, right? And I guess as a, as a person that's going to play games and then vote, you'd want to read through these, find the ones that sound interesting to you, the more the merrier, and then try them out. Yeah, so just a quick explanation of how the, the thread works. Uh, the thread is in the design contest forum on BoardGameGeek, so you could drill down to that. But it's probably easiest if you just do a Google search for Solitaire Print and Play Contest, it'll be the first one that pops up. Maybe throw the year in there since there's five other uh, similar threads. Um, but on that first thread, the first post is kind of the rules and the introduction to the contest, uh, everything that you need to know to primarily to enter a game. Um, and then the second post is all of the games listed out with a little description of what they are. And um, so you can read that. And, you know, it's a little flavor text or a little description of how the game plays. And each one of those has a link to the original designer's thread where you can go and download all the components to, to print the game. And, and the the designer is usually pretty active on the thread and will answer questions about the rules or respond to feedback. So that's kind of typically how the you know participation goes. Um, and then about a, a week before the voting deadline, I put up the voting page, uh, and I'll you know post links to it in the contest thread. So if you're subscribed to it, you'll see it right away. Um, and then you have about a week to go and place a vote online and. Then we reveal the winners at the end. Neat, okay. And if you're going to play, you either need to print the games out or some of them you could play digitally. Yeah, uh, we have a, a user, Chad Mastaw, who is amazing. He's he, very generous with his time. He's taken many, many of the games and made uh, tabletop simulator versions of them. So if you have Tabletop Simulator, which is an app you can buy from Steam and play all sorts of board games on it, but he's made free mods for Tabletop Simulator for, I don't know, I want to say about 15 of the games so far. And you can go try them out for free, and then you don't even have to build anything or or cut any components or use your printer ink. Um, And I've tried out a few of of the games that way, and it's it's really nice. I mean, I, I... probably prefer having a physical game in my hand but if you're not the kind of person who print and you know typically prints and plays games it's nice to still have that option that you can participate in the contest and, and you know at least play some of the games mm-hmm. and that's okay. definitely my preferred way to do it is to play off of those tabletop simulators just to get a feel for the game is that program expensive Depends on when you catch it on sale. Yeah, I, I I bought it this year. I didn't actually own it before, and during the Fourth of July sale, they had it for ten dollars, which I think was fifty percent off. Uh, typically, it's nineteen ninety nine. I think, okay. uh, but it's something I think that you would use a lot because it's not just for the contest. You can play all manner of board games on it. 
there's there's okay, tons of mods out there. Do you have to pay for any of those mods, or are they all free? The contest ones are all free. I think there's there's, there's others. Them, you know, other board game companies have released mods for Tabletop Simulator that you might have to pay three or four dollars for. Um, but I, most of the ones I've seen are free. Okay, and uh, are are these uh, the mods that are available? Are they going to generally be to play solitaire, or, or you might play multiplayer against other people online, or how do they work? You can play multiplayer online. Um, obviously, for the contest, they're all solitaire, so you can just log on mm-hmm. and do it whenever you need to. But um, I, th- I think they do support online play that you could meet up with friends, and they've got some cool features where. You know, your cards are displayed on the screen, but they're hidden from everyone else. So you can have hidden information and um, things like that to, you know, act, simulate playing a board game around a table. Okay, so this app might just be a good investment anyway. So you may as well go get the app and then try some of the contest games. If you like playing digital board games, if you like digital board games, which I tend to avoid. <laughs> so I was going to say, <laughs> but for the rest of you. Uh, one other thing for people that don't like to print and play games as much um, so every year in the contest there's multiple categories you know we do the the best game but then there's also the best war game or the best uh, push your luck game or you know kind of a variety of categories and one of the ones i've always done is the best playing card game or tarot game or deck debt game, like basically making a deck using an existing deck of cards. Uh, and most of those are just using like a standard poker deck of cards. And I've always had that category, and it's it's been a little underutilized. Like there's only been two games entered in the whole contest in that category. Um, and it's one that I've thought of dropping just because I didn't think people were enjoying it very much. And then this year... I think we've got six or seven games that are entered in that category where you don't really even need to print anything. You just need a deck of cards and maybe a player board or something like that. But you've just got this simple deck of cards and some really, really creative games. I mean, I've played, um, I think, three of them so far. And like they're, they're some of the better solitaire card games I've ever played. You know, certainly better than... You know, just dealing out the regular, you know, Windows Solitaire kind of game. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, okay. That's good. Check those out then. They've uh, one designer uh, for the shooting party. His his game is called The Shooting Party, has designed his own deck of cards. Like, you can play with any deck of cards, but he made a thematic deck to go with, uh, with his new game. So you could actually download and print out this deck of cards, and then you know you could use it for anything. You could play any game with it. But um, he liked the theme of his game, and and he actually made thematic playing cards to go with it. So I thought that was pretty cool too. That does sound really neat. Also, this year I, I want to definitely mention uh, I'm doing a new program. It's called the Volunteer Playtest Program, and I've never done this before. And what this program has is, um, I, I should start out and say that a lot of years I get feedback from the designers that, you know, you mentioned earlier, Julius, that there's some games that seem really popular mm-hmm. and get a lot of feedback. On the flip side of that, unfortunately, there's some games that 
are not as popular and do not get as much feedback. You know, maybe one or two people play them and they don't get a lot of comments. And I've always struggled with this because I want this contest to be, you know, positive and fun for everyone who participates and to feel like they're getting something out of it. Even if you don't win the game, getting feedback on your design is a huge thing. So what I've done this year is started a volunteer playtest group and anyone can join this. And what happens in it is you get assigned two to five games. And I'm trying to focus on the games that have the least amount of feedback. So if a game has gotten played by 10 or 15 different people, maybe I won't assign people to play it because it's already getting tons of feedback. But some of these games that are getting less feedback and less attention, I'm assigning volunteers to go out and give them a try and provide feedback. And I've... I've done one round. I did an early round for people who got their games finished really quickly so that they could get feedback and make changes and improve for the contest deadline. And then I'm doing a second round after the contest deadline ends so people will get feedback on their game and uh, you know, have people playing it and better, you know, make better informed voting choices because they've tried more games. And I think it's been pretty successful so far. Uh, just after this first round, I've seen a lot of games get feedback. And just kind of as a personal testimonial, um, I don't want to mention too many games by name because I don't want to you know, unfairly sway any votes or anything like that. But uh, I assigned myself a game called Snooker Solitaire. I don't. Do you, either of you guys know what Snooker is? Mm-hmm. Yep. Sort of like pool, but with bumpers in the middle. Yeah, it's a, it's a pool game. I don't I don't think there's any bumpers. It's just I'm, I'm very familiar with this one because you assigned this one to me for uh, playtesting. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah, you you've played this one too. I didn't know what snooker was. I'd never even heard of it. And I kind of I read through the rules. I looked at it and I thought, man, this sounds kind of dry. <laughs> you know. And then I get it out on the table because. You know, it might have been a game, honestly, that I would have skipped before because I just thought this. I don't. I don't know what game this is based on. It's. It's. You know, based on this game that I've never played. I don't play much pool anyway. I, I don't even care about those kind of games. But I put this out on the table, and I really liked it. Um, so, and I've heard from a few other people. You know, they got assigned a game that maybe they weren't super excited about, and then they ended up liking it and finding something new so you know i don't think that's going to happen every time sometimes if you get a game you don't like you're just not going to like it and that's okay but i i've (laughs) liked this program because it's kind of broadened my horizons already and got me to try some games that i might not otherwise have uh, jumped into yeah i like that that yeah yeah if if anyone listening to this would like to join in there are instructions on the first page of the contest thread to to jump in and be a volunteer uh, I'd love to get more players that that wanted to help out and and try some games and one person even wrote to me and said, "Oh my gosh, there's forty games. How am I supposed to pick what to play?" I love this volunteer <laughs> program because you just take me, tell me, play these three games. So, <laughs> um, That's funny. so you can sign up when you become a volunteer. You can play anywhere between two and five games that I will assign you, and you get to pick uh, how many you'd like to play and how big you'd like them to be. And even, because I know there's a lot of people that don't do print and play regularly, 
you can pick games that are available on Tabletop Simulator, which does require you to own the app, or you can print or uh, pick games that have very low uh, requirements for cutting. You know, maybe the ones that just have a board and a deck of cards or something like that. So I'm trying to make this accessible for you know the people that love doing print and plays and don't mind spending an hour building a game, and also the people that have never done a print and play or don't really enjoy doing print and plays but would still like to participate. Yeah, it, I think it's a great program this year. It's a great idea. Yeah, I've got positive feedback on it so far, and I'm definitely going to be talking to everyone who volunteered and getting some additional feedback from them on what they think when this is done to see if there's improvements for next year. But it was a new thing I wanted to try, and I, you know, my goal is just to make sure that every game gets played and, and gets some feedback. And on the one hand, I, I was worried, like, are, are designers going to think, no one wanted to play my games. You had to assign someone to play them. Um, and I did think that was a risk, but then I think of games that, you know, once they start getting a lot of movement on the thread, that attracts more players. And, you know, sometimes you need to see somebody else's comments before you're willing to j- jump into a new game. And so I think this program has helped with players besides just those who volunteered. You know, you, you go and read these volunteer comments and you think, oh, that sounds like a good game for me, and, and you jump in and play too. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, excuse me, I'm so tired. I was up at midnight. Poor Albert. Last night. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the drama that you mentioned before? Yeah, this year, um, for for those who aren't aware, there, there's a discussion going on among the design community Um, about the best way for contests to be run. And one of the things that I have done in the solitaire contests over the years is I've allowed people to submit games that they've worked on previously. So if you had had a game that you were working on for the last two or three months and you wanted to enter it into the contest, that was totally fine. My only rule is, you know, you can't put it online, you can't share the components. But, you know, if you're making a playtest copy at home, you know, with just working on it with you and your your spouse or something that's that was totally fine with me and other contests say you can't work on the game until the start date it has to be entirely developed within this range of dates and i thought you know i can't enforce that anyway and i don't really care so i'm just i'm more concerned about getting better games in there so i thought this is fine i'll just let people work on the games ahead of time if they want so this year when the contest started, I launched the thread and opened it up for entries. And I think within the first day, there was 15 entries, many of which already had components available, which hadn't happened before to that level. And I think it was just, you know, people were excited for the contest. And it's, you know, it's not a surprise that the contest is coming up. I announce it months ahead of time and people know when it's going to begin and people were working on their games ahead of time, which I was happy about. I think it means people are excited about the contest, but a few users uh, in that other discussion thread about how best to do a contest were quite upset um, about that, all those people who entered games right away, and also about people using the contest in their advertising. Uh, One of the published games... Uh, used the contest name in their Kickstarter campaign, which I had no issue with. 
you know, but they said we won such and such award in the contest, and that uh, made people feel like the contest was being used more as a marketing tool rather than a community event. Um, so th- that that was kind of the the drama is people were very concerned about you know these games getting entered early and then also the the potential of using the contest as marketing rather than as a community forum to get feedback on your games i mean even those people who are using it for marketing are still getting feedback it's still growing and making the games better is it not yeah i like i said i had no issue with it but uh, a few people did um and I was a little surprised. Some of the comments I thought were um, a little cruel, uh, you know, more so than a discussion about a print-and-play contest probably needed to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I feel like I've tried to make a really big effort to keep that community effort, like having the volunteers and having, um, you know, trying to ensure that people are getting feedback on their games. And one user posted a story and said that he released a game totally outside of the contest and got no feedback at all. Like it just was sitting out in a design forum somewhere and no one ever even saw it. But in the contest, he got tons and tons of feedback. Um, So I think people are maybe realizing the value of the contest for getting people to play your game and try it out. Um, But it is hard, like as it grows and as we get more and more users and um, when I get asked a question, I update the rules with the answer to that question. Like, okay, that, I hadn't thought of that before, and then I'll put it in the rules. So the rules are getting very long, uh, and it's starting to sound a little... I, you know, I can understand <laughs> some of the concerns of this is not feeling like a, a gathering of friends. You know, you've got this rule book at the beginning of the contest that feels like a legal agreement or something. And I mean, potentially it's starting to sound more like something like Unpub, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, and it it's I think it's something that happens, you know, as the popularity of the contest grows, which I'm very happy to see, but it's not quite the small group that it was, you know, four or five years ago either. There's a lot more people to manage and, um, you know, a lot more questions coming my way. I mean, the time that it takes me to run this contest is significantly more than it took me the first and first and second year of the contest, for sure. Are you concerned about someone using it for marketing? I mean, let's say that we just talked about this Kickstarter for which one had the print and play on it. Not Fate of the Elder Gods, but let's say let's say Fate of the Elder Gods had a print and play because it's come to mind. Let's say that they went right now when posted up their print and play over to the one player, um, the solitaire contest. I mean, they're looking for feedback, sure. They're also looking for feedback on their Kickstarter, but really, the real purpose of it is, hey, we're running this Kickstarter. Here's free advertising, and they go and post it up. Is that not a concern? So I don't know what the difference is between that and then a game winning the contest or taking second place in the contest and using that to compete for the best print-and-play game in the Golden Geeks or something. I mean, winning the contest, you know, there's there's 40 really good games entered in this contest right now. Winning the contest, I think, is kind of a big deal, and I don't have an issue personally with people using that but I guess I, I, you know, it does make it feel perhaps like less of a community thing 
if you're using it to propel yourself to Kickstarter fame, but... I mean, I'm also talking here about something It's already on Kickstarter. It's already fully developed. It's already fully illustrated. It's funding on Kickstarter right now. I'm taking I'm taking it that far to the extreme just to see just to see how far we can take it. Oh, I mean, we do have rules in the contest about your game can't be, um, you know, it can't have received outside playtesting help, and I even have rules like it can't have a BGG page at the start of the contest. Like you're not supposed to come in with a completely finished game, and I think even the games that came in with components ready, they weren't done. I'm gonna say like a photon galactic traders i'm friends with that designer um you know we've talked in other contests and gotten to be kind of friendly he was really excited for this contest and i'm just using him as an example uh he had the game components ready first day of the contest and that was totally fine um with me because it you know i think it showed he was kind of excited about it but um he didn't have a BGG page and the game, like I play tested an early version of it and submit submitted many, you know, here's some things in the rules that could be better. Here's some component changes you, you might consider. Like I wouldn't say he came in with a completed game, like something that was going to be on Kickstarter right at that same time. Um, I, so I do have rules that I think would prevent that kind of situation that you're talking about. Essentially that, they can't have done any playtesting themselves before they start putting it up here. Uh, they can't have done outside playtesting. What does that mean, outside playtesting? Like uh, seeking other people on the internet or in, you know, like a playtest group or something to come playtest your game. I mean, it's one I thing. Mean, if, greater than games has its own playtest groups, like Plathead does. I would say that would probably be outside of the rules of the contest. But it's not something that has come up uh, particularly in the past, at least not to my knowledge. I mean, I think most of the games, the designer and you know maybe a spouse or a friend have looked at it in the past, but certainly not you know the whole world on the internet. Mm-hmm. Peter, the the point of the rules really is just sort of to to make it fair for everybody. Don't don't go and spend so much time on your game that you almost guarantee winning the contest when somebody else. Who hasn't had that same opportunity for whatever reason? But I mean, that's can't. so hard and to do. You have some people who put mm-hmm. hours and hours and hours into their game, and for them, they really invest it. And you have the other guys who come up like, "I got mm-hmm. a game. I put together a rule book. I got cards," and they put like two hours into it. And those guys go and complain. Well, wait a second. I had an yeah. idea. I put it up here. These other guys got to spend. You know, who knows? They got to spend all that time. It should. It's not fair. They say. Well, you know. Yeah, but it's not about those kinds of situations where, where one person's not putting effort and the other is. It's where one guy was able to put a lot more effort and the guy just didn't know he had the opportunity or, or whatever and and feels like it'll be judged in an unfair footing, which, you know, ultimately the point of the contest is, is to to tell people about solitaire print and play games more and, and to promote the designing of that. And that's happening either way. Honestly, I don't know if entering your game, like, you know, coming in early with components ready, is that huge of an advantage? Other than, I guess, you get a little bit more time for feedback from playtesters. But um, Jake Steins, I mean, who won Austerity and McKee in years past, both of those games were designed entirely within uh, the contest time frame. 
Mm-hmm. And you know that that makes sense because that that's you could think of it as a totally different development style, right? Where instead of coming up with a, an idea and developing in house, this way these guys are posting their ideas and other people are contributing to the design and and the development. And from my experience uh, this year, and maybe this is a little bit selfish because I'm just thinking about me here, but I spend so much time you know, working on the back end of the contest and answering questions and trying to play other people's games that I had entered two games and, you know, I have a bunch of handwritten note cards right now, but nothing that I could make available. I just haven't had time to finish them. And so like looking at it from my personal perspective, I don't think that I could release a game in the contest that I just made within the entry frame of the contest because I'm too busy working on other things. I mean, in terms of being able to enter with stuff ready, we we have a phrase, primacy, frequency, recency, that those are the keys to make something get heard, is to have it be first, have it be frequent, and have it be last. And so if you come in there and you have everything ready, yeah, you sort of start to snowball. If a bunch of people come and look at it, and they are already getting a lot of posts, everyone else is going to be a bit behind the curve on getting those. There's people will be drawn to what people are already talking about. And those people who get in there first are going to have that. I think I hear what you're saying, but I've also seen evidence of the opposite. Um, again, looking at photon galactic traders, the, the designer entered a second game called uh, artisans much later into the contest. And it was just an idea he had and he put together and that game has received a lot more, feedback and a lot more interest i think than his first one i mean one it's a simpler build but still he he put that one out just as an idea uh three or four weeks into the contest and has gotten a lot more interest on that than he did with his game that was uh you know just about ready when the contest began but i mean it's always hard to judge how much more interest would have been if it came out immediately it's always hard to judge Anecdotal evidence isn't necessarily the best form of evidence. Yep. And early on, I mean, I think this year presented a unique challenge because I've allowed this a lot, and there's always been a few games that came in, you know, in years past. You know, I'd start up the contest, and three or four games would come in with components ready. But this year really stood out of like, boom! Here's here's 15 games that I'm ready to enter, and it was it was definitely different than I'd seen, and. So I don't think that was probably an item of concern for people before when it was just three or four games and then everyone else was trickling in afterwards. But something did change this year. And I mean, I've been trying to think of how to address it in the future, like maybe making a category for games that were designed just within the contest time frame or something like that, just so that people feel like there's, you know, they're being heard and that there's something being done to address it. But like I said, I don't know that it's something that I want to take away and say you can't ever work on a game before you enter it into a contest because, like I say, that's probably the only way I'll get it done. <laughs> and also, how in the world would I enforce that? I mean, this is just an internet <laughs> I, contest. I, I have can't. to agree. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's some other contests that are designed to be done in the time period of the contest, and the way they typically do those is by releasing what the, the contest is going to be about. So, for instance, there's ones that are the one-week <laughs> design, and it has to be 15 cards exactly. Or, you know, they, they say what it is that you have to do, and then the time starts. 
Without having something yep. like that, I don't think you'll be able to do it. But in my personal opinion, I don't think it's a problem at all for people to be able to start designing it before mm-hmm. it comes out. I think that those people who are more prepared and advanced are going to have an advantage in how they show it. And I said the same thing about people who have art in it, those people who have illustrations. I talked last year about um, the animated images that um, Deep Space D6 was using as a real draw. And having those extra flares and extra finishes, I think, are definitely things that are going to make your entry stand out. And I don't think we should punish those people who have the ability and interest to go ahead and do that by banning it for those people who can't. And it's unfortunate, but you know, you can't yeah. give everyone equal resources. Some people simply have more resources available to them. And that's another reason I started the volunteer program too, is that question of art and, you know, completed game mechanics and things like that. Look at a designer like, Todd Sanders, who's, you know, he's won the contest in the past. He's won several different contests in the past. He's a tremendous artist. So his games, you know, you you go look at, you know, one thread and maybe it's, you know, kind of blocky graphics and doesn't look amazing. And then you go look at his thread and it looks like a professionally done game because he's just a tremendous artist. You're going to get drawn to that one just because it looks so good. So that's part of the reason I made that volunteer program is so that you would go play a game, you know, maybe you, if you have to be assigned to it, that's that, I think that's okay. But, um, you know, there, there's a silver ball solitaire this year doesn't have great graphics. Um, doesn't, you know, it's fine. It's playable, but it's not something that you're going to want to like hang the board upon your wall or something. Um, and I, I assigned several people to play it and, you know, it's an interesting pinball game. Like I, I kind of enjoyed playing it, and, and I'm glad that I did. Uh, and I hope other people go check it out. But I think it's one that isn't going to stand out compared to like a Todd Sanders game where that art is is so top notch. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a problem that I'm trying to address, but it's also one of like how can you, you, you know, I don't want to punish people for being good artists. Yeah, and with with the goal of the contest, I mean, that's just, I think, the nature of it. I think if you feel it was unfair because you didn't have enough time, well, next year you've got more time. Start today. Yeah, and, <laughs> I, you know, like Julia said, um, I'm thinking of the, the 24-hour contest will release a theme. Mm-hmm. Every month they say, okay, we're making a game, and it has to have, in some way, you know, angels in it. You know, maybe a card with angels or a theme about angels or, you know, wh- whatever the case is. And that way, I think they can prevent people from coming in and having a game they've worked on for six months. Because, you know, your game that you've worked on for six months maybe doesn't have any angels in it. (laughs) Uh, But with the Solitaire Contest, there's no theme requirements. There's no mechanic requirements. I mean, the only thing is the game has to be a solo game. And, you know, if you've worked on it for six months or a year ahead of time... There's not much. I mean, even if I said, okay, you can only do it within this window of dates, I you know, I can't stop someone from entering a game and saying, right. oh, here's an idea I had last night, and look, I whipped up these components. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't sleep. I did this real quick. Yeah. <laughs> Ten pages. I mean, I don't, and rules. I, I certainly don't want to, uh, you know, 
accuse anyone of doing something like that, but it it's so hard to enforce that stuff. I just kind of mm-hmm. thought, what's the point? <laughs> yep. and, and then you end up restricting other people that can't spend two months nonstop working on it that really need to spread it out over a year, right? Then it ends up being afraid of that guy. You, you, you can't win. Whatever you do, you're going to disappoint somebody. Mm-hmm. That's what it well, is. There was even a discussion in that thread about, well, this isn't so much a design contest as it is an award for best solitaire game of the year. But I don't think that's true because of the feedback restrictions. And you know, you can't get playtesting beforehand, and you can't uh, post the game publicly beforehand. So it's still like you're getting that feedback and making design changes during the length of the contest. But also, a lot of games, you know, there's tons of solitaire print-and-play games that don't participate in the contest. You know, a lot of people enter ga- or release games on BGG that don't have anything to do with the contest. So it's not, to my mind, it's not any kind of award of the best game of the year, because I don't go look for games that weren't in the contest to give the prize to, you know? <laughs> right. Well, let's move on because yeah. we could go on to this for hours and I think it's really interesting. Um, Plus, I've you know, been tired. I've been tired for days. <laughs> so, so you know, go check out the contest. Go participate. If you aren't a designer, now's the time to go play some games. Print them out or play them online, however you want to do it. Sign up as a volunteer and get assigned a game. The randomness could be fun. Yeah, and feel free. Contact me on BGG. I'm chanson2794. If you want to geek mail me on bgg or just post on the thread and you can enter that um as a volunteer and i'll get you some games assigned uh at the start of august and should be a lot of fun for everybody shall we move on to samurai spirit yep so let's talk about that game this is a game that both julius and i recently acquired at barnes and noble clearance sale um and you know, I'm happy I got it. Me too. It was a good, it was a good, uh, lucky choice. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a wrap. <laughs> well, Albert, how do no. you play the game? Oh, um, so this is a so- this is a cooperative game. It's by Anton Antoine Bowser, mm-hmm. and Plays in this game, same. you control up to there's six different samurais, I believe, and you control samurai there's defending seven different a village. Sam- samurais. There's seven ones, seven of them. And I think up to six people could play. So there's always one. Up to seven people can play. Oh, seven? Okay. I don't know the rules. Um, Maybe I should say the rules to Albert. (laughs) All right. I'll finish the theme. Um, You you guys are defending a village from attacking bad guys. And these are thugs with some sort of boss. Um, You are samurais that have some special powers that if you get hurt a lot, you can actually be able to turn into an animal form. And you're more powerful and able to fight better. So there you go. That's what the theme is. It's very much a, an old um, Japanese samurai movie, right? Like, um, I forget. Well, the, so much the, so it's the, actually the based. Name. At the end of the author's notes, it says that it's inspired by the movie Shihin no Samurai, which is Seven Samurai, which Seven, is the yes. work of the Japanese film director Akira Kurosawa. Yes, that's his name. You know, uh, when my kid, when my son saw the game and he looked at it, he said, oh, I've seen this book before. I think he's seen a comic of it or something because he recognized the animals and everything. So I don't know if it's the same exact art as some comic out there or what. I have no idea. It, I it's don't a very think familiar animals trope. in the original movie. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I've never seen it. But I've heard about it many, many times before. There are no animals in the original movie. Hmm, okay. All right. So, so we know about the theme. 
uh, we have reference material. Or rather, there are animals, but there's not people turning into animals. There's no where people, where animals. Anyway, so Albert told you about the theme. I'm here to tell you about the math. Because kind of the game (laughs) comes down to math. That might be why my son didn't like it. It could be. (laughs) Um, The way you play the game is you have your samurai. And when you're playing one player, you will control two or three samurais. We'll get back to that in a minute. You have your samurai. Each samurai has a special ability. And they can choose on their turn to either share, spend a turn sharing that special ability with someone else. So they'll pick up a token representing their special ability and hand it to another player. When they do so, they're going to have to let one of the bad guys go by. And we'll get back to that in a second. You can also choose to pass. And what you can do to pass is you just simply lay your meeple down. And you have a little meeple marking your battle stats. You just lay it down and that ends your turn. Once you've passed until the end of the round, and there are three rounds in the game, you cannot take any further actions. But the main action you're going to be taking for most of the game is to fight. When you fight, there is a deck of raider cards. And in the normal strength of the game, there are seven raider cards per um, player. And those raider cards are either a value of one, two, three, or four. And you will draw one of them. And once you draw them, you could either put on the right side of your board or on the left side of your board. If you put on the right side of your board, it's the number that matters. You will have a track that says, that goes up to, let's say, eight. So if you put a three on the right side of your board, you will advance your track by three. The next time you put another one on the board, let's say you put another three, you will advance your track up to six. If you can make your track hit exactly eight, i.e. you have exactly eight points worth of raiders on that side of the board, you'll be able to use your special ability. Your special ability changes for each character, and it's printed on the bottom of each character. So, for instance, you may be able to build extra barricades, or you may be able to discard extra cards. You may be able to peek at the raider deck. Different abilities. Each character has a different ability. You'll also, when you activate your special ability, get to discard the top card from the right side of your board. So your raider track will go back some. If you put cards on the left side of your board, there's an icon in the upper right of the board that will now make a difference. And there are three different icons. An upper right of the card. On the upper right of the card, excuse me. And there are three different icons. There is a peasant icon, which is a hat, a farmhouse icon, and a family icon. The families are represented by little uh, Japanese dolls. And each player board on their left side has a farm icon, a farm, uh, a hat icon, excuse me, a farm icon, and a family icon. When you take a card, you may only put it on the left side for the same matching icon it has. So if you've already put a card on the farm slot, you cannot put any other cards with a farm icon on the left side of your board. You must put them on the right side of your board. At the end of a round, for each one of those icons that you don't defend, a negative effect is going to happen. So if you haven't blocked off the peasant icon, the hat icon, you're going to take a wound. If you haven't blocked off a farm icon, a farm is going to burn down. If you haven't blocked off the family icon, a family is going to get killed. Or driven out of the village. 
killed. That's that's so grim. I think it just says it, killed. Let's see. In my game, they leave the village. Killed. Let's see here. <laughs> Does the rules say that they're actually killed? I want to kill I one. Think, I thought they were. Le- I thought they left. Them. Either way, they're gone. Really, <laughs> and so that family's not there. If at any point all three families go, you've lost the game, right? Yes. If you lose all three families, or if you lose all six farmsteads, then you're going to get. Then you're going to lose the game immediately. Lose, however it is that you're losing them. <laughs> um, you also have on the board various barricades. Whenever, almost whenever, you would be required to burn down a farm, except for when you don't have an icon. Whenever you would be required to burn down a farm, you can instead burn down a, a barricade. Each of the cards, or most of the cards, also have a small icon in the lower left, and that is a negative effect. Whichever card is face up on the right side of your board, so the track side of your board, when you start your turn, the negative effect is going to occur. So, for instance, there might be a negative effect to burn something down, or there might be a negative effect to make you take a wound. Or there might be a negative effect that you have to draw an extra card and hand it to the player to your left or the player to your right. So there's various different negative effects. And in fact, mm-hmm. some of those negative effects will get worse as you get farther along in the game. And we'll get back to that in a minute. At the end of the round, um, some of your abilities may also cause cards to go into the ninja pile, the secret pile, the upper part of the board. And those cards just end up going there face down. Negative effects can put those there. Passing can put those there. Um, so those just go face down to the top of the board. At the end of the round, you'll start flipping over cards. In the final corner of the card, which is now the bottom right of the card, there will either be or not be a fire burning there. If there is a fire burning there, then someone has managed to sneak into the farm and burn down something, either a barricade if there's one there or a farmstead if there's no barricades. Um, you'll play through each round until you've completely gone through the whole raider deck, at which point in time you'll do the ninja deck. After going through a whole raider deck once, because there are more cards in the game than you'll see in a single raider deck in a single game, you'll be able to have some idea of the distribution of cards. So you'll know if there's a lot of threes or a lot of ones or not very many family icons, for example. And I've played some games where there are only exactly three family icons that I ever see in the whole game. So I know I definitely want to put each of those family icons on the left side of the board or I'm going to be losing a family. So once you've gone through the whole deck, you'll add in some slightly difficult, more difficult foes, the lieutenants. And these are all value five guys. You'll shuffle those in with the original, however many you have, um, go through the whole deck again. And then for the third round, you'll add in value six guys. And these guys have even worse penalties. Not only are they sixes, but they may cause it to be that you can't use your talent or you have to bring back someone who is discarded or you just have to pass if you don't do it. And those can be very bad. Mm. If you make it all the way through the third round, and after doing all the penalties at the end of the round, you still have at least one family, at least farmstead, you have won the game. Congratulations. Huzzah! The village is safe. The game does come with um, different difficulty levels. There is the easy, normal, hard, and quote, heroic, slash <laughs> stupid. 
<laughs> Stupid hard. Um, the game suggests you start on normal and says, if you're convinced you can't beat it on normal, try on easy. I'm not convinced I can't beat it on normal. I've done it a few times. It's still quite hard, so I have not personally moved up to hard. Just because I felt like being difficult, I've tried heroic once. Um, when you're on heroic, or actually even when you're on hard, on the back of all the farmstead tiles are penalties that'll occur. So for instance, when you lose a farmstead, you may have to burn something else down. Similarly, on the back of the families, and this is on all the difficulty levels, at the end of the round, if there's any families alive, they give you a bonus. And that's for everything. I just forgot to mention it. Um, but on the heroic version, the, the farmstead penalties apply. For normal, that doesn't happen. Um, in heroic, you do not get the family bonus. So those just simply don't happen. The raider deck gets even bigger. Um Yeesh. And you have less barricades. Normally, on the normal mode, you have one barricade per player plus an extra two. You lose that extra two on heroic. And heroic is stupid difficult. (laughs) (laughs) I I I can't imagine. I have trouble in the standard. I would claim heroic is just impossible, personally. (laughs) I would be amazed if you beat it on heroic. Interesting. Now, is this game harder with more characters? Well, Albert, let me ask you. When you're playing solitaire, how do you play? There are two I've options. played two or three-handed. When you're playing with two players, there are the different support tokens. Like I already taught, talked about, the different tokens for each of the player abilities. Um, and I don't think I described what the player abilities are. Um, but you mm-hmm. have those tokens for each. When you're playing two-player, you have access to all of the tokens, and you can use them once per game. And so two-player works differently than three and above. When you're doing three-player, you don't have access to all the support tokens. You have to make do with those three. Um, I typically play with three-player because I've found that the ability to use those support tokens once per game um, makes for less interesting interplay between the characters than be able to use one constantly and consistently. I just find it more interesting to play with three-players. Mm-hmm. You can yeah, you know, when I played it three-player, def- I agree it was much more interesting. So I play three-players and without using the two-player rules. And that's more fun to me. But both of them are explicit in the rulebook as being options. Um, also, just to talk about what the different uh, special abilities are, the support tokens, um, there's one that let you hand a card to your right or your left, and there's two types like that. One that is for even cards only, one that is for odd cards only. Similarly, there's one that lets you ignore the penalty, and one for even cards, one for odd cards only. One that lets you take the fight action a second time, so if you draw a bad penalty, you can immediately do another fight and hope you draw a less bad penalty. Um, there's one that lets you discard a card if it is the same as something already in your combat line on the right side of the board. And there's the last one, which I think is probably the most interesting, is that whenever you draw a card, you can choose to put it underneath the deck and um, draw a second card instead. And the rules are not specific about whether or not the card you're putting underneath the deck you can do face up or face down. And I find this interesting because I do it face up, and I say that whenever you want, you can go look at the bottom of the deck. Because if I had perfect memory, I would know it, and that's not a memory game. 
So I leave those face up and I give myself the ability to go look at it, which means that when I'm playing with that character, I typically pick at random. But when I'm playing with that character, there's a lot more interesting decisions about trying to figure out, well, I know exactly what's at the bottom of the deck. How am I going to handle these before I figure out what I'm doing with these? Hmm, so it probably turns your endgame even more mathy. Yes, it does. Interesting, okay. I've been playing with the cards face down, so I, I don't know what's coming up exactly or the order, but I have a good idea of the numbers you know I've sent. And, you know, it sounds like both ways will be fun. Um, we I don't think you talked about the the samurai's health, right? He could take a wound, he gets a wound marker. If he takes another hit, he gets flipped over to his backside and changes into his animal form. Mm-hmm. Right. At, at that point, he is stronger, and it, his power for for getting an exact match in the numbers is better than it was on the front side. So, so he's much tougher. But in addition, he you're could, now at risk of losing the game. Yes, he could take another wound, which would get him the wound token again. And if he takes a fourth wound at that point, excuse me, he, he dies, and you have lost the game. Everybody loses. So those are the three ways to lose the game. Either you lose all the families, lose all the farms, or if any one player gets two wounds on their animal side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's tempting to let him take a few wounds early on and flip over so that you could uh, be stronger and tougher and just play better, but you're risking probably taking more wounds anyway. So, so that's, a, that's a tough game to play. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I really like this. This game has a lot of choices in everything, I think. Um, when you're playing, you know, are you playing the card on the left or the right? Do you want to assist another player and give him your ability for a turn? Because the abilities all work differently and change what can happen for everybody. I think from what I've seen, player. there's definitely a division on whether or not I think someone else would like this or not. You don't get that many choices for what you're going to do. Because almost always you're going to draw a card, and then you have to figure out what you want to do with that. And so there's a lot of just, I draw a card, I do something with it. I draw a card, I do something with it. There's not a lot of freedom of choices. It's not like, you know, Pandemic, where I have a whole board. I have so many places to go and so many things to do. And I have to develop a strategy across the whole thing and multiple turns. You don't have that. You have, I draw a card, I figure out what I'm going to do. I draw a card, I figure out what I'm going to do. Very short-term strategy, very short-term decision-making. That said, that's what I think is the negative to it. I think that, I, I, I think we spoiled it before, I like the game. Even when you draw a card, you have to try and remember what else there is and try and gauge since maybe I want to have this penalty or maybe I want to immediately guard the families and the farmsteads now. But when you start to fill up your battle line, you'll start thinking, well, maybe I want to have that flexibility to be able to, if I would get knocked out, to quickly go and pass that off over onto the left side. But if you try and keep holding on to that flexibility, it may end up without the ability to fill up your left side, and you'll lose a farm. So I think there's a lot of push and pull tension for what you do with the cards. There's a there's a a decision point about what it is that you're going to do, and there's a memory skill involved and in thinking. Well, I know in general what's in the whole deck. I know in general what's going on. 
And so I can think about how I'm going to try and react. So for instance, the games that come out where there's only exactly three families, I know I've got to protect those families. And so I can try and remember that and apply that and figure out how best to run the math. But if you're not a math friend, (laughs) if you're not someone who likes to be like, oh, I realize I need two more on this guy, so I can trigger two more on this one, and that will let me go over and clear out this space and then move to this one and two more on here, and you don't like starting to try and figure out those the the short-term strategy for where to move things around and how to add up the points, uh, it probably wouldn't be a game for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder if this is also better a solitaire game than a multiplayer game, because I think individually each samurai doesn't have a lot of choice, but how you work as a team, there's a lot more choices. I don't think so, because even when you're playing multiplayer, I guess it depends upon if you avoid the um, quarterbacking issue. But if you're all talking it through as a team and saying, oh, I can can I pass this to you? Or someone says, I am going to go down if you don't hand me a two. Draw a two, please, and hand me a two. <laughs> If you have a lot of table chatter and strategy discussion, I think it still comes about the same. If everyone is focused on being like, I got my samurai, I am not going to tell you what to do. You just make a decision. I'm going to decision. I'm going to sit here and watch you. Oh, you killed us. Okay, all done. Thanks. That was a great decision. <laughs> yeah, sarcasm. If that's how you play the game, you are not going to like a multiplayer. But you don't. If you do that, you don't sound like a very fun person to play with anyway. <laughs> But you have to have table chatter when you play it multiplayer. Yeah, definitely. Now, I think if I understood what you were saying correct, I think you got a real wrong about the support. You get those back after you give them to somebody. To, or is, is that when not what you playing, said? When you're playing with a two-player variant, um, mm-hmm. yes. When you're playing regular and you choose a support action and you give someone else the token for your special action, at the start of your next turn, you take back that token. The two-player mm. variant is all the other support tokens, so the five other support tokens, okay. sort of sit in a pile, and once per game, you can use those. Yeah, okay. And, and so that, that doesn't sound it's fun. I, I, okay. That's uh, the I, yeah, I think version. with three or more hands, it'll be better. And so if you're two people, you should probably take two samurais each, I think. Um, I've not actually played... No, I have played at two players. Um... I don't know. I'm. I think with two players, it's not so bad. But with solitaire, I don't know. I just don't prefer it. I think that playing. Yeah. I think each player playing two handed. I, I don't know. It sounds crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it, it worked all right for me until my son got bored. Oh, you did it with each player having two. Yes, oh. we did it, and I was enjoying myself. I've played um, very few of this two player. I've played more four and five, more more solitaire than anything else. But I play more four and five than two player. Um, I don't know. I can't. I think that playing two player with two handed that doesn't sound nearly as much fun as one player two handed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So, hey, Chris, you've been listening. So, is this a game you want to run out and buy now? Yeah, I haven't tried this game before, but I'll definitely keep an eye out for it. I know you guys bought it at Barnes and Noble, um, so I'll I'll check it out because it it does sound pretty interesting. I kind of like that mathy game. Um. I'm just looking up on Barnes and Nobles just a moment while I pull up and see when Red Dot Clearance goes down. Give me, it should be soon if it hasn't already. Give me just a moment because I know it's on the thread, which I have loading right here. Um, unconfirmed for Friday, July 29th. Yeah, it's currently on sale at Barnes and Nobles. I think I got it for like twelve dollars 
Was it twelve dollars? I think that's about right. It was twelve or fifteen. Yeah, the game is probably a twenty-five or thirty-dollar game. So I think it was twelve dollars at Barnes and Nobles, and then starting I think July 29th, um, it's going to be going down to seventy-five percent. So it'll go down to six dollars if you can find it. Um, yep. probably worth going into your local Barnes and Nobles and ask them, "Hey, do you have it?" Because they may have it. Actually, in the back. you could look online. And ch- search for the game, search by name, and then you could uh, check your store, and it'll tell you if it's in inventory. Um, it, it's not always reliable, but that may save your trip if it tells you it's out. Well, I think that sometimes the clearance stocks in the back don't show up on online either. They're supposed to. It's in, it's in inventory. Oh, either yeah. way. Yep. It's all you know. You may find it when asking. You may find it from online. But anyway, so I think it's going to be going on sale even cheaper at Barnes and Nobles if you're interested in getting this game. Um, I did have a couple mm-hmm. of critiques though with the game. Um, one of which is we brought up about the fact that the rule book says it was inspired by a Japanese movie, The Seven Samurai. I'm just going to comment one thing: there are no were animals. In Seven Samurai. The, auth- the the rules say, as in the film, so in the game. The fair sex is hardly represented, but the author hopes you will not take that unkindly. I think until I read that, that line of the rules, and perhaps my apologies for reading them the rules, I don't think I had noticed that all seven of the samurais are male. Whereas <laughs> a good number, I think the threes, but possibly also some of the bosses, are female. So they have females fighting. But none of the samurais, none of the characters are female. Even though it's based upon the movie, it takes a pretty sharp departure from the movie by having where animals get involved here. <laughs> and I think they did themselves a big underservice by not also taking departure from the movie to have females be involved in here. Because I know this is definitely the sort of thing that my wife prefers, and I know that other female gummers prefer, and I think it's just nicer to see a more even division in a game like that. Even for me, I like with Ashes and other things like that, continue to see a, a even division between males and females in the game. And I think highlighting it and bringing it out like that, I appreciate your apologies, good sir. But if you know you need to apologize for it, why did you do it? <laughs> mm-hmm. That, that's true. You know, I mean, I suppose one could argue you want to be historically accurate, but you already... You have were animals uh, in the Yeah, game. so you're already, you're already changing enough, so it's you may as well It's not historically accurate. It's movie accurate, and it's not accurate to the movie. Well. Yeah, if, if you're making that many changes, why not make half of the samurai women? <laughs> yeah, and include half the population. And I mean, they have the bad guys be women, which I imagine in the original game is not true. I mean, I'm assuming, I don't know if you have the rule book up in front of you, but there is a character who I suppose I can't see his, her chest, but he has long <laughs> hair and sort of looks feminine. See, maybe Unclear, a little. It's the number three card, if anybody else wants to weigh in on that. I suppose I can give you guys the rule book online here. I'm looking at, okay, the one with the shaggy blue hair. The shaggy blue hair, the number three card. Yeah, yeah I'm looking at that. It's not an uncommon one. To, to pop up I, th- I see it every single game and every time I do that I'm like hey look <laughs> it's the only girl represented yeah you know the, the, it's unfortunate I just think that if they didn't want to do that then they shouldn't have 
Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I thought was funny, they included an active player marker, um, which they think is only useful in case you lose track whose turn it is. Do you use <laughs> From the, the arguments? Do you use the active player marker? We put it on the table. I gave it to my son because he always likes going first. But then I started wondering, were we supposed to have this go around the table every round or something? Yeah, but we didn't. We didn't worry about to, it. You're supposed to hand it around, and I never remember to do so. Mostly because, especially when playing uh-huh. solitaire, it gets so heated. But according to the rules, the player who finished last round, the next player goes first next round. That's See, the hardest thing to remember. Yeah, we didn't do that. You know, last uh, last week I was at a friendly local game store for game night, and we played Taruva, the surfing game. You remember that game? It was on Kickstarter a few months ago. Mm-hmm, I do. And we talked about it. And the turn order, you know, whose turn it is mattered. It didn't have a marker, so somebody, it wasn't me, somebody else pulled out their one-player guild coin <laughs> with the arrow on it and would point it to the person who was next. There you go. However, just like in this, you forget about it and you don't turn it to the right person. And we kept losing track anyway. I think because for me it only ever happens at the end of the round. Yeah. I think what would have been better is to have it be that be a card and potentially you take a card, deal one down, put another card on top of it, like last player card, mm-hmm. and then every card on top of it as soon as you reveal that last one, you take that card and the next one. So whoever's holding that card, you know they finished the last round. Because yep. I never find it too difficult, multiplayer or solitaire, to remember whose turn it is. I find it very difficult to remember who played last, last round. <laughs> Either multiplayer mm-hmm. or solitaire, I find it very difficult. And so this is just something I've done to fix it. But I, I don't know. That that wasn't a great fix for it. Um, one other thing that I find strange... I mean, I've I've already talked about how I know some people are going to dislike this game. And playing it here, playing with local players and playing with other people, I can fully see why there's going to be some people who find that you get absolutely no control and some people who find you get that it's just perfect. Um, I find it interesting that they made the easy level and sort of said, try doing the normal level, but if you feel you can't do it, go to the easy level. <laughs> if you feel I mean let me let me try and get a quote from the rule book for it. If you feel inadequate. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like it when in Lord of the Rings card game they also call it the easy level. And I don't like the term. Here here it is. Um Samurai Spirit is quite a technical game and there's a great danger of losing the first games. Do not be disheartened. Try not to drop down to the easy level until you've given the normal several tries and you are convinced that the normal level cannot be conquered. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> with Pandemic or with any other cooperative game, I people start on easy, feel good about themselves doing easy, and then they're like, oh, we can do normal now. No, you prefer to tell me that I should do the more difficult <laughs> one, even though it's, it's, a te- it's a huge, te- it's a technical game. It's a difficult game, and it's a technical game, and it's hard to understand. So you're telling me that I need to do the normal game, lose, feel bad about myself, get talked down to. You should be able to beat the normal, you tell me, but it's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll give you a handicap. You can go down to easy. And then let me do easy. Sir, <laughs> let me teach you a bit about how to talk to people. <laughs> Don't say that. Let people start on easy. And when they feel easy is too easy, they get to move to normal when they like, as people do in every other game. 
Yep. Sir. And these are the sort of things that I'm aware <laughs> are coming from the designer because they're under the author's note. Mr. Bowser. Sir, let me talk to you a bit. Excellent game. I really like it. Let's work a bit on the people skills. <laughs> now, the last thing I want to say about this is that I really like the graphic design in this. Oh, I yes, think that's it, true. it looks great. It's very consistent. All the icons are nice. I I do find that at first they're confusing. I have to constantly go back to read the rule book, but it's just all graphically very appealing game. Yeah, I think the icons are nice. The graphic design is is clear. I don't know how you can make the icons clear without writing them out, but once you realize what they all are, they're fine. You just have to go back and refresh your memory. The the yeah. graphic design is really nice. It's also a small box game. I don't think we mentioned that. It's pretty teeny. It's very compact, very portable, mm-hmm. very easy to carry with you. It's about the size of a hostage negotiator box or so. The, the it's small it's eight by eight, so it's the same box. size as the like the Cosmos two player game type mm-hmm. games. So it's a small box game, really easy to, to carry with you. Custom meeples. Um, each of the meeples for tracking on your battle line is a cu- it's a custom meeple. It's a little guy in a robe meeple. I'm not quite sure what that's supposed to be. Guy in a robe. A samurai. Is that a samurai? He doesn't have a sword or anything. <laughs> samurai has swords. He's got it on his belt. It's sheath. Got it. So he, there's a custom samurai meeple for carrying it along. So I, I definitely like the components. Um, I've heard some people complain that the, fu- the, um, the farmstead tokens, there's a distinct right and left one, which means that if you're playing the harder levels, you'll be able to figure out if you burn a right or left one, what's left. I'm not that good at remembering. <laughs> doesn't doesn't matter nearly so much to me. Neat. All right. I think we have beat this one to the ground. So thumbs up, thumbs up. Thumbs up. Definitely, definite thumbs up for me. Mm-hmm. I guess the only question I have is... Uh, What's the game missing? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> Nicely played. <laughs> okay. One moment. I'm going to roll some numbers. Who is doing it today? Chris, is it going to be you and me? Is it going to be me and Albert? I think you won last time, Julius. Well, the question is, who's going to be arguing? Because we need two of us and there are three people here. I volunteer, Chris. I I can do it. That's fine. So, Chris, you and me? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, just a second. I'm going to pick some random words. Um... Now then, I have a feeling that the reason why we haven't gotten very many submissions of late is entirely my fault, and because um, I haven't been posting up the, th- the voting thing, I'm really sorry. I'm probably just going to say, Albert, <laughs> this is officially your job, sir, <laughs> because I'm whole remembering. Either that, I'm just going to make Albert remind me. So I really strongly apologize to everyone that I failed to put it up. Um, and I do request that people continue to add words because, again, we actually haven't had words in over a month now. Yep. Now I got three words in the mail today, email, but they haven't been added to the sheet. They have been added to the sheet. I just added them. From Mikolaj? Yeah. Oh. 
Never mind. You, we got email. <laughs> so they may show up. So give us three. Give us two words. All right. I have our two words. Our first word is coming from Mo. And I'm glad that. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wait, where did I put it? Uh, yeah, the first one is coming from Mo. And the first word, um, which I guess... Is, is this my who's, word? Who's first word? or second? Who's first or second? Let's do one or two. Looks uh, like one. I, okay, I guess you're going to be first then. Okay. Um, at least you get the first word. So your word is from Mo, and it is popsicles. Popsicles. Got it. Popsicles. Um, and my word is from Jason Clark, and it is period clothing. <laughs> In that part, no, no comment. All right, so would you like to go first or second? I'll give you uh, away team advantage. Would you like to go first or second? I'll go ahead and go first. Okay. One moment, sir. Let me pull up a timer. I've got one ready. I got uh, Go ahead, Albert, 30 seconds, is that right? Yeah. 20, 20 seconds. seconds. Okay. Start, when, start when you like, and I'll start the timer. After a hard day of turning into a were-animal, every samurai needs to cool down with a nice popsicle. <laughs> you get all the hair on you, and you turn into a wolf, and you just need something to chill out, and a popsicle is the perfect way to end the game and cool down. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, you got... Time's up. There we go. <laughs> That's okay. So we have popsicle. The game needs more popsicles. Julius, on the other hand, disagrees with you. So the game needs more period clothing, and I'm going to talk about something that is actually involved in the game, as opposed to a player outside the game wanting it to cool down after a hard game. No, the game itself needs period clothing. Because even though the people are able to switch to new animal forms, if they could switch to, like, period clothing and hide in with, like, army fatigues or various other things and put little periods all over. Stop. Stop. You got your 20 seconds. All right. And now the five-second rebuttal. And now the five-second rebuttal. Okay. Everyone in the game has period clothes already based on the artwork, but what they don't have is a way to cool down, and that's popsicles. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's right, I suppose. I mean. Well, that depends on what period clothes. I was talking about clothing with, like, periods on them. Oh. <laughs> oh. Third period? No, like periods, like polka dot clothing, because then you blend in, because you have a lot of different colored periods oh uh, yeah <laughs> that, that's one well, way for uh, samurais to hide and blend in is exactly. pol- polka dots <laughs> polka dots well y- y- we'll let the listeners decide which of those two is missing how about that <laughs> fine fine whatever <laughs> assuming we actually let them Decide. Yeah. We, may. Know, posting, we may not. By posting up a poll. <laughs> Gotta say, Maybe it, someone it, should it's do hard that. thinking of something to say about popsicles for 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually, well, not usually. Sometimes it's really hard. To, sometimes 20 seconds is just not anywhere near enough. Sometimes you it's hard to do for 20 seconds. For seconds. Sometimes it's hard not to do for 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I'm just glad you got a Mo Word this time. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I can submit more stuff like the uh, Monkey Auto Races headgear. <laughs> oh, gosh. That is a classic. Oh, Every gosh. game needs it. Yeah, that, it, it. What game couldn't use that? <laughs> uh. All right. Thank you for coming on, Chris. It was nice talking yep, with you, you as always. Oh, thank you again for having me. Always right. a pleasure. Have a, have a good last month of the contest. Yeah, yeah, and I hope to see several more people come and play some games from it. Thank you guys for uh, talking about it today. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.